Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Post Political Podcast. I'm the host, Derek Britton. Um, thank you all for joining me on the last uh, podcast of the season. Season one is coming to a close. Uh, we're going to be back here at the uh, end of uh, July, early August timeframe. Uh, we'll be starting up uh, with brand new guests, a couple of new uh, things hopefully uh, thrown in. And uh, be sure to stay tuned on the, the social media because there will be some stuff uh, popping up, maybe a forum here or there or something. But uh, the weekly podcast show will be uh, stopping tonight for season one, and we'll be taking a summer break to uh, hang out with family and do some stuff uh, that I do as hobbies and stuff. So uh, thank you all again for for joining me on the last episode of the season. Uh, let's start up with the uh, promos. First up, we have the Vermin Supreme Institute. Our purpose is to inspire social evolution through the disruption of authoritarianism, to promote compassion and activism, and to spread the knowledge of redacted history. Through the use of humor, direct action, and mutual aid, we uplift the disaffected, the disaffected, the disenfranchised, and the disempowered. And uh, the last time, you know, I'll, I'll probably announce this, Love and Action Fundraiser went great. Um, we have a few more things in the uh, pipeline for the Vermont Supreme Institute, so stay tuned. We're going to be doing uh, some of the uh, local community fridges and, and things like that. We'll, we'll be putting up a bunch of uh, resources on the website, so stay tuned for the Vermont Supreme Institute updates. Uh, next up, we have the uh, Be Gay Do Crime uh, Trans Resource Network of Louisiana uh, promo. So uh, today and tomorrow are the last days uh, to, to purchase one of these pieces of, of merchandise. So either the shirt or the hats, 100% uh, of the proceeds go directly to the Trans Resource Network of Louisiana. Uh, and they're helping transgender nonconforming folks down in New Orleans. Um, if you want to donate directly, you can go to the PayPal um, right here. Uh, and you can continue to do that, obviously, after the uh, promos ended. Uh, but the shirts and the hats will only be on the shop for another two days. So make sure you get your orders in. And last up, we have uh, the Bridge Kids Give Back fundraiser. So again, uh, last two days, we're going to be doing these uh, for the end of season one. Uh, so you can get a tote bag or one of the shirts. Uh, or you can donate directly again. Right at the bottom is the uh, link. Um, so yeah, so last two days to get your, your merchandise bridge kids give back is a group committed to feeding clothing and uplifting one homeless and unhoused community at a time. Uh, and, and they do amazing stuff in Massachusetts. Please look them up, go on their Facebook and check them out as well. All right. So we have, uh, Aaron Hamlin. So Aaron Hamlin is the direct executive director and co-founder of the center of election science, uh, Center for Election Science, sorry, and uh, voting systems expert. We're gonna be going through uh, the pros and cons of approval voting, uh, kind of how it compares to ranked choice voting, and then the recent approval uh, voting election in St. Louis. So let's bring in Aaron, how you doing? Hi Eric, thanks, doing well. Yeah, I'm super happy to have you. Uh, like I said, I, I'm, uh, I said in the pre-show, you know, I'm very interested in approval voting. Um, I know more about ranked choice voting just because I happen to uh, work on that campaign uh, in Massachusetts. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited to learn more. Uh, and I kind of want to start off with kind of getting your, uh, uh, I guess, journey into uh, starting the Center for Election Science and, and kind of how you got there and, you know, what led to, to the, you founding, uh, co-founding that. Yeah, well, I think um, a, lot of, a lot of people who get interested in voting methods in general they have kind of a, an odd experience. And I, I don't know that mine was too dissimilar from that. So when I was in graduate school, uh, it was during the 2008 election, a lot of, I was noticing that a lot of my, uh, my friends and uh, um, a student group that I was in, uh, we were, uh, they were talking about voting for people who didn't really 
uh, mesh with their ideas. Uh, and so we were all uh, out to dinner one day and we were all talking about this and I was listening and, and, and hearing about how all my friends were voting for uh, candidates who I, I knew didn't agree with the uh, um, the political causes that they cared about, uh, particularly given like we were all in this particular student group that cared about a, a particular uh, reform and they were voting for candidates who were actually against that reform and weren't supporting the ones who were for it. And so like, that just seemed odd to me. Right. Uh, and as a, as a consequence, like I was kind of a bit disheveled. And so I thought like, well, like what's going on? Like, why are, why, like, why are they voting against their interests so explicitly? And they mentioned like, well, like, I don't want to waste my vote. Uh, we should do some kind of incrementalist uh, approach with the uh, candidates who like don't actually support the reform that we like. And so I, I was a bit disgruntled. And so like, I thought like, well, like, uh, like, is something going on with my friends and like, or something else going on. And, and it was at that point that I began to look at voting methods as a, as a uh, source for why people were, were voting in a peculiar way and why certain ideas weren't getting out there in a way that they should when they're popular ideas. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I've seen a lot of it as well. Like I have uh, plenty of friends that voted in this last election for candidates they knew didn't support uh, and not even at the national, I mean, at the national level, especially, but um, even at, at some of the lower levels in uh, uh, more local government or local representation, you saw people voting just because uh, they might have been voting out of fear, you know, not wanting the other candidate to uh, get in, uh, not wanting to waste their vote. You know, you hear that a lot. Um and not wanting to, uh, they, I mean, I think there's something inherently um, human, I guess, about wanting to be part of a winning team. Uh, so there's some competitive factor there that uh, people want to vote for a winner. And I think that's uh, that plays into it as well, I think, it, with not voting for uh, some of the third party candidates and stuff. So, yeah, that's it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's really like we, we have, there aren't very many opportunities that we have when, uh, like we, we think of all the time, like uh, politicians, like they just kind of seem to ignore us all the time. And in a lot of cases, they can get away with it. But one one case where they absolutely have to listen to us is when we vote. Uh, they can't ignore that. If, if it, the vote doesn't go their way, uh, they have to leave. And yeah. that, that seat gets replaced by someone else. And so like, it's, it's weird that we have this opportunity and yet we're not able to leverage it properly. Like there's this one opportunity that we that we really get where they can't ignore us and we're not able to leverage that. So like either we like we we aren't as aggressive as we want to be with our with our with our vote and we actually provide a message that is contrary to what we actually think. Or even if we're we're voting genuinely, the vote that we're able to provide doesn't really provide the information that we want to carry into it. Um, right. and, and we're given this, this tool, uh, which is really inadequate. So we're, we're, we're given the vote, which is wonderful and what we need, but the manner in which we vote is not very good at all. And so like, that's really what it's coming down to. Yeah. And it seems like even, you know, I, I know, um, I, I have a ton of friends that are, um, anarchists and they, they believe that, you know, the, the voting for politician side, especially a lot of folks that I know go to vote just for ballot measures, some of the point, because they feel like uh, their vote is not being counted as it, as it should be, I guess, um, in, in the, um, the, the actual candidate election, because again, there feels like the wasted vote or it feels like just an underrepresented uh, group. 
when it's in, if you, like you were saying, if you talk to uh, friends and, and other folks that are voting a particular way um, or for a particular candidate, let's say, they feel very strongly about something, whether it be like anti-war or, you know, legalization of cannabis or, you know, one of the big kind of uh, topics right now or criminal justice reform. And they're voting for candidates that are, like you said, absolutely opposed to it. And it's, it's, um, it, it really drives people to voting for mainly just the, the, you know, ballot measures and, you know, simple yes, no vote uh, and, and really pushing for that. But I think alternative voting methods uh, that are popping up, I think would really help bring a lot of those people back into voting for candidates and, and feeling more like their uh, vote is being counted uh, towards it. So um, no, it's interesting. And I, I don't know, again, don't know a, a ton about the approval voting. So I'd love to, to break into that and, I mean, give a, a, a quick kind of, and I, I have read a little bit before the episode. I wanted to make sure I did know a little bit, but uh, for the viewers who don't know and, and people listening, um, can you give us a quick overview of kind of what that would look like uh, with, say, four different candidates uh, in this next election, let's say? Sure. Uh, and, and maybe also helpful to kind of contrast it with what we do now. Mm -hmm. So right now we have a completely inadequate way of voting, which forces us to choose only one candidate, no matter how many candidates run. Uh, and and here we're talking about single winner elections yeah. uh, where, where like you're electing like mayor or something like that. Right. Uh, but regardless of how many candidates run, you can only choose one candidate, which is a bummer because like if you like more than one candidate, like you're out of luck. Uh, if there's that one candidate who really speaks to you, but it doesn't seem like they're as viable, uh, but you really want their message to get out. Well, like you, now you're in a dilemma. Like, do you support that candidate or do you go with one of the front runners uh, at, who's uh, more likely to win. Uh, and so like, that's the dilemma that we're stuck with is right. forcing us to choose just one. What approval voting does is it says like, you don't have to limit your voice. Uh, it, it gives you that same ballot and it says you, you can vote for more than one. If you want, you can still choose one if, if that is what works for you for this particular election, but you have the option and everyone else has the option to choose more than one candidate if it makes sense for you in this election. So if you have that other candidate who uh, they, they're really speaking to you on a particular issue, uh, maybe like you're really big into public transit or another uh, local issue uh, that's that's affecting your mayoral race. Uh, but there's also like this kind of, you have some more establishment candidates uh, that are more likely to win. Uh, well, you may hedge your bets and say, okay, okay well, I can look at those, uh, those front runners, but at the same time, I really want to make sure that uh, these new ideas are able to get play out there and that these candidates aren't ignored because that's what happens. Like if, if you have this current choose one method that we have now and those candidates uh, aren't able to get support, they're going to get marginalized right. and they can be uh, ignored. Uh, whereas with approval voting, you select as many candidates as you want, still most votes wins. Uh, it does a wonderful job of getting a nice consensus candidate as the winner. But on top of that, uh, you get all this this accurate reflection of support for all these new ideas. And the other thing too is e the, even with the, the winner under approval voting, even if the winner doesn't change, it's important that the winner be able to have a mandate reflected if a mandate is there. Right. Because we're in really trying times now. We have all kinds of challenges that our uh, cities and states take on. And if you have a candidate even if it's the right winner, even 
if that candidate is winning with say like 35% support because of vote splitting of so many candidates, right. how do you lead with that? Like how do you, where where is your mandate to take on aggressive policy? Whereas with approval voting, if you have a mandate that can be reflected and it's gonna be really important to be able to push those policies that they need. Right, and, and uh, to your point too, like if you have um, other candidates that are falling in second and third that may not have been well represented, uh, if you only had, you know, one one pick, I guess, one um, one selection, uh, you're actually able to help push uh, policy as well in maybe a direction. So say, you know, uh, someone wins at the top that's a fairly um, common, you know, uh, a kind of establishment uh, a politician right now. But then right below it is someone that was very radical on, say, you know, a public transit or something like that, that you know, you can use that in that data. And hopefully, I mean, it, the hope is that you see uh, politicians recognize that and realize that that is an important uh, part of their constituency, um, that they need to help support um, that one issue that that candidate ran on uh, and really help uh, push for uh, some of these uh, more, I guess, radical issues that are radical stances on, on typical issues that we see. Um, we, we say, you know, in the, a lot of the third party races, we say there's more to winning than winning the race. You can win in policy. You can really push, um, part of your, uh, campaign say is, uh, legalizing, uh, marijuana or, or, uh, you know, decriminalizing, uh, sex work or something like that. If you follow second or third, uh, with that being your main kind of stance and, and having someone win, they're going to look at that and say, hey, this is still at something that's important to uh, the group of people voting for me. I should at least look into this and figure out what I can do about this uh, in order to secure those votes maybe for next time as well. So I think it, it helps really push some of these uh, uh, other issues, you know, single issue candidates as well and, and things that uh, might want to be pushed as far as policy and giving policy mandates, like you said, with a much higher percentage of, of uh, voice being heard instead of 30-ish percent of the vote uh, because it split so much. No, I, I, I really agree, and I think there's uh, some, some serious truth to that. Yeah, and I think third parties in particular are really cognizant of, I mean, they have a history there of having their ideas co-opted by major parties. Uh, so they're, they're, they're not naive to, to that idea. And so it's really recognizing that it's more about, uh, it's not just about who wins. Obviously that's that's important uh, because the person who wins guides the, the policy, but yep. the person who wins is also shaped by the environment in which the campaign takes place. And so if you get uh, someone uh, who has like 30, 40% support uh, and they're saying like, hey, like this is really important and, and particularly if uh, the winner goes back and looks at the election data and says like, hey, like the, there are a lot of people that supported that other candidate who also supported me. So it's clear that there's a constituency that supports me that I would also benefit from uh, right. from, from bringing up this idea. And even if, even if some of the ideas are maybe uh, disparate, like they could still like uh, uh, increase the, the base that supports them as well. Right. Yeah, and especially, I mean, if you look you know, uh, at, at someone that's running more uh, for a first time versus incumbent um, and being able to break through, you know, you can use the data to go against the incumbent. You know, you can even go back and look at uh, some of the historical data uh, and see, oh, you know, these 
you know, next, the second and third place uh, candidates supported these things and the incumbent still doesn't support those things. If I take that policy position, I can really grab those voters. I mean, I think it, it I, I like data analytics as well on the back end. I helped uh, in some of the campaigns I worked on on the data analytics side and I have friends in that space um, a little more hardcore than I am, but um, it's, it's great to be able to take a look at that data and really understand what, uh, a voting base, uh, really wants to hear or, or is really passionate about. Um, and it might be something that you're passionate about and never campaigned on because you didn't think there was anyone passionate about that. And you actually now have some data uh, showing that. So it makes it uh, a little more interesting, even, uh, post-election, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. So I want to uh, get into, so, um, I, I hadn't actually heard about this until uh, we started talking a little bit about what we were going to be talking about today. Um, and I looked it up and, and saw that St. Louis, you know, had, had uh, ran their first uh, election with approval voting. And I wanted to hear more about that. I, I didn't dive too deep because I wanted to kind of hear firsthand uh, a little bit of um, some of the information. But I, I, I'm very intrigued because I, I think um, a lot of the reactions that we've seen like I, I have a lot of friends and family. I grew up in Maine, so I have friends and family in Maine that, that saw ranked choice voting and they loved it. And I, I think uh, I saw, you know, in some of the headlines that people really did uh, appreciate the the ap approval voting uh, election as well in St. Louis. I don't know many people there uh, locally, but I, I had uh, seen that a lot of people liked it. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how it shaped uh, the election and, and what some of the, um, I guess, reactions and stuff were afterwards. Yeah, so St. Louis um, was really interesting and exciting. Um, so uh, there was recently the first usage of approval voting in St. Louis. They had a nonpartisan open primary in which voters could choose as many candidates as they wanted. And then the top two would go on to the general election. Uh, prior to uh, approval voting within a nonpartisan open primary uh, passing, uh, St. Louis used a a closed primary system. So like you'd have parties, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd vote for, uh, you'd vote within your party that, and then the, you'd vote for a single person, the candidate with the most votes would go on to the general election. And then the folks in the general election would, would have it out. And previously there was a lot of vote splitting uh, within the democratic primary. And at St. Louis, like a lot of cities has a, a strong democratic hold that tended to be a bit more liberal with the, with the larger city. And so St. Louis fit that mode as well. Uh, but St. Louis also has a, a, a large black community as well. And, and so what they were finding uh, in the previous election was there's a lot of vote splitting among the black candidates and also like uh, among progressive voices as well. And so as a consequence, like there was a, the, the winner from the previous election didn't really have a whole lot of support. Uh, and interestingly, that, that person uh, after the, the former uh, mayor, uh, once approval voting passed, like right after it passed, uh, she decided not to run again as an incumbent. Oh, wow. Like you think about the uh, the amount of uh, of uh, uh, momentum that an incumbent has, uh, right. and the likelihood that they're, they're going to keep their their seat. Uh, but uh, she's pretty much saw the writing on the on the wall that she wasn't going to be able to take advantage of uh, vote splitting, and so uh, as a consequence, uh, this recent election uh, we saw the candidate who previously uh, just got like a fraction of the vote and had her vote split among the uh, uh, other members of the black community. Uh, she, uh, in the open uh, primary under approval voting, had uh, clear, clearly above 50%. Uh, 
and as a, a, a about 50% approval. And so she was able to go in uh, to the general election with the, uh, the second place person and really show that she had the support to be able to lead. And St. Louis faces a lot of challenges. And so it's important for her to be able to move forward uh, in, in a way that shows that she has the support behind her to take on aggressive policies. Right. No, that's super important. That That's interesting. And, and you know, I, I hadn't thought a ton about that vote splitting um, at the, the closed primary level, but that happened. I mean, I, we talked a little bit before I, I live in Massachusetts uh, in general, a very blue state. We have red pockets here and there, um, but whoever wins democratic primaries typically win the election. Like it's, it's uh, you see, it's the one good thing I guess about it is you see a lot of people show up for the primary election, uh, which is a good thing, but then um, people just kind of know who's going to win the, the uh, election after that, because uh, there's typically a lot more support for those um, uh, democratic candidates. So we do lose as well. And I have seen this happen in the past. We lose a lot of progressive voices. We lose a lot of uh, voices that are um, more grassroots campaigns because there's, more there's like four or five of them and then the uh, state party kind of handpicks the establishment candidate and runs one establishment candidate that's that's part of this you know uh, state party um uh grooming or whatever you know method they, they get them in and, and make sure that they're uh getting the the most support so that that is something i had never really thought about and um you know, vote, vote splitting at that primary level really does happen significant. I, I see it every year and I just never have thought about it that way. So that's, that's really interesting to bring up. Yeah. And, and even, and also like in, in close primaries too, you get this weird phenomenon where uh, folks within the community, uh, they actually pressure people not to run. So like it, say like you uh, are representing a particular, maybe like a progressive or more conservative ideology. Uh, there may be other people who, genuinely like the policies that you support and they say like hey there's somebody else that's kind of similar to you if you run you're going to split the vote with them like i I know like you're great and all you you show that you have support for the same policies that i like uh but if you run like it could mean real a real disaster here and and none of us may get the outcome that we want and that's to to me that's an abomination right uh, because uh the democratic process is not running its course. The people who uh, want to use their fundamental right to be able to run for office, like aren't, are, are getting coerced out of that. Right. And then also right. uh, their views aren't going to be identical to everyone else. So we're still missing out on a lot of nuance in terms of policy. Uh, I mean, you see that in terms of ideology, you see that in terms of, of like uh, minority groups as well. Uh, right. Having a lot of diversity of views from, from, from those communities. Uh, and them having to worry about having their boots split and not being able to have the real uh, 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 diversity of voices that they have within their community uh, being able to be represented. So by forcing us to choose just one candidate, we're really forcing out a lot of those voices as well. Right. And almost, uh, you know, almost forcing people to and not so maybe not so much directly, but I feel like indirectly having people water down a lot of their message or their um, their actual stances because they're trying to just gather that, that group, whatever, you know, in that primary so that they're not, uh, splitting the vote. Or if they see someone with the same, you know, uh, policy, it almost feels like they have to combat that or, or do something different when they could feel, you know, very similarly. And I, I feel like it would take away, 
Uh, and, you know, again, I, I don't mean to keep bringing it up. I'm just very familiar with ranked choice voting as well. But uh, I've seen it happen in Maine uh, uh, during ranked choice voting. It makes uh, candidates who do feel similarly about things say, you know, hey, put both of us, uh, put, you know, rank one of us above the other with the ranked choice stuff, but with approval voting, just vote for both of us. Uh, we're, we're both, you know, uh, um, going to push progressive policy or whatever it ends up being. Um, it, you can almost have uh, candidates running together. Um, at that point to um, gain, and it almost creates a, a, I don't want to boil it down to nicer, but like a, a more uh, considerate approach to uh, politics instead of having people kind of go after each other um, during primaries and stuff. Yeah, I mean, with, with our choose one method that we have now, it really encourages the worst in, uh, out of our uh, elections, um, like with the campaign itself. Uh, but, it's, but it's interesting like, too, like when, when we think about the differences uh, that we see between other voting methods, including alternative voting methods. And so like maybe like taking a time to, to reflect it, like, like, okay, well, what, what makes a voting method good? Like we're looking at these different options. Uh, we, we might look at it and say like, well, like one, we want an, a strong winner, right? We want a winner who is a nice, strong, consistent candidate that really reflects the, the typical uh, person in that community. Uh, and also when that person wins, if that person has a mandate that should be reflected. Uh, but in addition to that, like we also wanna make sure that we hear everyone's voice. And that's something yeah. that we keep coming back to, particularly when we're talking about independents and third parties running and just people with new ideas, making sure that uh, they're able to get those out in, in, that, uh, um, in, in the limelight. Uh, but interestingly, not all voting methods are as good uh, about being able to do that. Obviously, our choose one method is horrible at it. Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, approval voting, uh, even with its simplicity, simplicity really stands out in terms of being able to do a great job in terms of capturing the support. But we actually don't see that same thing with uh, ranked choice voting, uh, which, for instance, in, in Maine, uh, looking because in, in Maine, they were able to use ranked choice voting for the recent presidential election. Uh, but interestingly, like, neither third party, neither the Libertarian Party, nor the Green Party candidate, neither of them were even able to crack 2% right. uh, in any of the uh, um, uh, places in uh, in Maine that would count towards an electoral vote. And so like, from, from my perspective, I think like, well, like that's your opportunity, like as uh, like for ranked choice voting, like this is where you can shine in terms of being able to show that third party support. Uh, but it just like was not there. And part of that is just by the kind of confusing way that ranked choice voting is calculated and right. the way that it really doesn't always acknowledge a lot of the information that uh, uh, that voters uh, cast on their ballot. Yep. Yeah, and I think there's, uh, there, there definitely, so the, the one thing, the one major thing we combated in Massachusetts was the education piece of it. I mean, it was just trying to uh, get folks to understand how that vote broke down uh, for ranked choice voting um, uh, was difficult. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I was a proponent of it and I still had a difficult time, you know, trying to make sure that um, people who, you know, people did support it blindly because their favorite politician said to support it. Sure. But the people who really did want to learn about it and, and try to understand how their votes would be counted, um, you know, and there was a lot of disinformation as well uh, being put in by people who benefit from the uh, the single vote, the single cast vote um, that currently happens. Um, but there was there was just a lot of people who couldn't uh, get past kind of 
after the first round, if, if someone got knocked off, what happened to votes then? And it, it really was a little bit uh, more difficult to, and that's, that was actually when I, when I first did some research for the show, uh, one of the things that did catch my eye was how simple it was uh, approval voting uh, mm-hmm. and, and how much easier that just going through trying to help campaign for ranked choice voting, you know, how, how it might be much more easy to uh, educate people how approval voting would work. So, yeah, I, I think, the simplicity is is something that is uh, definitely advantageous for at least to get pushed as a uh, a change to the current system uh, to a different system. It makes it a lot easier uh, for voters to take that step versus um, what I saw with some of the ranked choice voting stuff. Yeah, and and the I mean the the reflection of support that other candidates have. I mean, it's not like a fluke in in, in uh, just uh, Maine. Like for instance, like we you really see this across the board uh, when we've done uh, polling studies comparing different voting methods. And we're going to see more firsthand uh, with rate choice voting as well. As an example, uh, we did a poll looking uh, earlier on in the Democratic primary in the uh, 2020 election. And there, like, uh, you would see, like, the cluster of of front runners. But if you wanted to, as you recall, like, there were a ton of candidates in the Democratic primary. Uh, and so, like, if you were curious and said, like, okay, well, like, actually, the candidate that really speaks to me, that candidate is uh, not like one of the the major front runners. Uh, and if you want to look down, and say, like, okay, well, how much support did that candidate have? And after all, that's important because that that can dictate whether that candidate gets airtime, uh, right. a lot of like free media attention, and make sure whether their ideas get co opted. But when you look down under uh, for those other candidates under. Uh, say rank choice voting uh, or uh, or choose one system, they really get just like this uh, tiny bit of support. Uh, as an example, uh, a lot of folks like were clamoring for for Yang, Andrew Yang, for instance, yep. under uh, rank choice voting and uh, under polling in the round before he was eliminated, uh, he was still under 10%. Uh, oh. where, whereas under approval voting, when we did polls using approval voting, he was around 30%. So like a threefold difference, that's a huge difference when you're right. trying to say that you have legitimacy under your and under your candidacy's uh, platform. And, and so it's, it's just a huge deal uh, when we're looking at a, a voting method just to make sure that when people cast their, their vote, not only are they able to cast information in a meaningful way by like how, how they're selecting candidates, but also to make sure that the voting method itself is... Uh, tallying them up in a way that actually acknowledges their vote and listens to them. Right. And I think that's one of the, the big ways that approval voting has an advantage because not only is it simple and you're able to express your opinion, but when you tally it up at the end of the day, the voting method isn't ignoring anything. For instance, like ranked choice voting does uh, uh, when some of your preferences for a candidate can be hidden uh, uh, down the ballot uh, for, for other candidates and it just never is reflected in the tally. Right. Yeah. And, and being able to, so, you know, I, I have seen, I've, I've been trying to pour through some data, again, data driven. I, I, uh, my day job is engineering. So I, I, uh, do appreciate data a ton. Um, so I, I've been looking into, uh, data on some of the ranked choice voting stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I think there's, I think, um, one of the things I noticed was if, a front, and I mean, I think the election in 2020 might have had some very specific, um, uh, things going on, I think that that really drove people to feel strongly one way or another. I think there was uh, particularly a lot of media 
attention to uh, the two uh, major parties specifically because there was such a, I guess, story or whatever there. Um, but I, I do think that when when you look at some of the other elections, not just the, the presidential election, you see when there's uh, folks that are front runners that have similar ideas to uh, some of the folks that are, are uh, down below, you, you do lose that vote of the third party or the, the other uh, people that are uh, maybe not getting the airtime or not uh, kind of one of the front runners, but they have similar ideas there, I think. And, and not that Andrew Yang and Joe Biden or, or whoever was front runners in those groups had similar ideas, but they were, they had uh, similar followings. I guess like uh, people would, who probably would pick uh, Andrew Yang as, as one of the front, you know, people that they'd pick uh, Joe Biden probably wasn't super far down on their list. Um, and I, I think there's, there's something to be said there with uh, commonality between folks. And again, we kind of go back to um, when you have two people with uh, kind of have some of the similar policy uh, platform, uh, you can kind of push one of them out because, you know, Hey, if you run too, you can hurt my uh, numbers. And if we want to get this accomplished, we should just run whoever's uh, the most popular. So no, I, I think there's, there's a lot to, uh, to say there for that too. I, I, and I'd love to see some of the numbers. I think uh, you had uh, just shared something with me. I'm going to share it with uh, the folks here uh, in the comments um, as well. Like I said, data driven guy, I'd love to uh, pour through any of the data I can on, on trying to see how these actually impacted the election. So this is great. Yeah. And um, I can, Sure, as well with you, the uh, St. Louis election uh, oh, results as, as well. Yeah, and it's so I uh, with the ranch choice voting advocates, particularly in, in Maine, I, I tried to take some of them to, to task and say, like, hey, like, why why is it that your voting method, which you uh, uh, push as being really great for third parties and independents and these new ideas, why is it that uh, it's doing such a bad job of capturing the support and like one of the responses that I got was like, well, like it was uh, the election was really focusing on uh, like looking at Trump and looking at whether the Democratic Party was going to uh, be able to, to take over power. And I mean, my answer to that is like, when is it not an election when uh, you when it's contentious and, and you have uh, uh, like a, a really uh, kind of divided uh, electorate or uh, the the result is really it's always very important like it's yeah. it's always uh, you're always going to have that dynamic and so what we what we need is we need a voting method that doesn't need uh, people to make excuses for it we we need a voting method that will in really any circumstance uh, make sure that that support is is captured because you don't need uh, a voting method that can only capture support during unexciting election years. It's always an exciting right. election year. Right. Uh, and, and so uh, you need a, 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 a voting method that's reliable, that is always going to listen to you, uh, regardless of how contentious the election is between the two front runners. Right. Yeah. And, and even just understanding, like if, if you have, you know, um, like we were going back again to the data, I guess, if you have the data of, of people who voted for, uh, multiple candidates that were the third parties and, you know, one of those major parties that that data might get lost as well as you're going through the different rounds of, uh, and I know there's some data that's captured there, but 
really people care about like end tallies and stuff. And I guess with approval voting, you get that end tally of everyone's vote for every single, you know, uh, the, the Howie Hawkins votes, like say if that dropped off first in Maine uh, and went, you know, if they needed more than one round, uh, people wouldn't, I guess, notice that as quickly, they'd have to do a little digging instead of getting that as the final vote tally um, or, or the Joe Jorgensen votes, you know, if those kind of went off and went to, uh, you know, Trump and Biden respectively, and maybe Howie at that point, uh, you would, you would lose some of that data, I guess, in the final vote tally when people looked at that and that would change the whole narrative of the media, you know, after that, if you had, you know, say I uh, get this last election, say if people did vote, you know, Joe Biden with, you know, uh, 60 plus percent and right below it was uh, Donald Trump and uh, Howie Hawkins or Joe Jorgensen or one of the third parties with like 40%. That would really push uh, uh, people to start talking about the third parties as well. Um, it gives almost a better opportunity for some of that spotlight or, or whatever to be um, pushed with, with some of the media. Although it's, you know, I don't want to get into a whole thing about how the, the media handles elections, but um, I think it would almost push for that story to at least have to be told. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about approval voting is that it's just so simple. Like just the way that you vote is very simple. You're simply checking off as many candidates as you support. And the way that it's tallied is simple as well. You're just talking about simple addition. You're not doing any complex ballot transfers and you just look at the percentage of, of, uh, of ballots in which a candidate is, is approved on. Right. And, and you really need it to be that simple of a case as well, because, uh, the, the media like have their own opinions about candidates as well. And you need to make the case so bold and easy that they can ignore it. Um, and it, if you have a, a voting method that's needlessly complex, uh, that is confusing, it makes it harder to, to make that case. Whereas with approval voting, you, it's so simple, you just can't get around, uh, you can't get around what the data says. It's just right there in your face. Right. Yeah, I mean, people manipulate, you know, very simple data to say whatever they really want to say. Uh, the more complex that data gets, the easier it is to manipulate and, and kind of pull the wool over fo folks' eyes. So, yeah, no, I I, I think there's, you know, I, I uh, probably try and stay very open-minded and, and uh, you're selling me a little bit on approval voting. <laughs> this is good. I, I'm, uh, I, I love uh, learning, you know, uh, more things that I don't, I didn't know about yesterday. I'd like to learn about today. Uh, and I'm happy to, to hear more about this. This is great. Um, and I think there's, you know, I, I, I hope that States are, are looking at, um, you know, when, when they're trying to push different, you know, alternative voting methods, they are looking at the data, uh, that is coming out from some of the early adopters, I guess. Um, but also that they're, they're hopefully, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater as well. Like I, and I, I think I've even seen uh, some of this in, in some of the social media from you guys, you know, approval voting is, is what the, the data that you've seen shows to be the most effective, but there are other voting methods that um, maybe uh, from the data that you've seen uh, aren't as effective, but they are still better than what we have today. So maybe uh, some, some baby steps in the right direction are still a positive uh, direction. And I just kind of want to get your take on, you know, do you see one of these voting methods as being a positive step? Uh, you know, if ranked choice voting passes in a state, is that still a big positive for you guys? Or is that uh, something that you might have to combat to, uh, like, say, if, if you think, you know, it, it is overly complex and people are going to 
uh, not appreciate that alternative method and want to go back? Do you think it hurts the case for alternative voting methods or do you think it helps to at least see something uh, better than the, the one choice vote that we have today? I think it's helpful to move away from the choose one method that we have now, but it's also important to note that our choose one method is so bad that literally anything other than that is going to be better than our choose one uh, voting method. And when we're talking about something as important as our democracy, like maybe we don't want to settle for like the second worst. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so the, the, and and the difference in terms of like approval voting and ranked choice voting, like it's not a small difference either. Like we're talking about right. enormous differences in simplicity. Uh, we're seeing already uh, large discrepancies in the degree that the uh, approval voting is able to capture support um, compared to the limitations with with ranked choice voting. The 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 other uh, issue is that like, there may be uh, circumstances where uh, ranked choice voting. Uh, moving forward can displace opportunities for approval voting as well. A as an example, and this is a bit of an unfortunate example, in Austin, Texas, so we have chapters across the U.S. Yep. Uh, supporting uh, approval voting in cities and states. And in Austin, Texas, so as a kind of a, a preface, in Texas, both the Secretary of State um, and the Attorney General have uh, indicated that right choice voting is not legal under Texas law. Uh, and so, uh, but approval voting, there uh, there are likely ways around that with approval voting because it's so simple, it's very versatile in terms of how it can be implemented. And yet the city of Austin has uh, passed a ballot initiative. Uh, so like uh, advocates in Austin passed a ballot initiative to use right choice voting in Austin city elections. But because it's not legal, uh, in, in Austin, they've used it basically as a placeholder to say when eventually, whenever the, the state government who does not like uh, ranked choice voting uh, decides that it's okay to use ranked choice voting in their state, then it'll be implemented. And to me, when I see that, I think this is actually not very good because what it does is it really acts as a blockade right. to better methods. So we've got folks who are in Austin who are supportive of approval voting uh, that are, are uh, very excited about getting other stakeholders involved and making it so that Austin, as well as like uh, Dallas, San Antonio, uh, a number of, of large Texas cities uh, to be able to, to implement approval voting. But if you're going through and you're creating these blockades to say like, okay, uh, you can't you like, or, or, or taking out the political wind of being right. able to use uh, other alternatives, it really makes it challenging. And you're basically saying like, okay, well, nobody uh, gets to, uh, uh, to change what the, the voting method is. It's going to stay priority voting indefinitely until the, the uh, state, which has no interest in changing it at right. all, uh, uh, changes their mind about uh, which voting methods are, are, are possible in, in the state. And so there is a bit of displacement that can occur in terms yeah. of, of, of opportunity. And we also don't want people to think like, okay, well, ranked choice voting has been implemented in a bunch of places. Like maybe it's kind of lukewarm in terms of its uh, practical uh, implications, um, but because it has this kind of like experience or track record uh, using air quotes there, uh, the uh, maybe we want to stay with that rather than give opportunity to other methods that show much more promise, uh, even though uh, like, they're they're still a bit newer in terms of their implementation. Um, right. 
Yeah, and it's you're 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 missing out potentially on um, even other voting. You know, I I I don't know what's coming up in the future, and uh, there might be other voting methods that that someone might present that might have a ton of data that say, hey, these are much more representative of you know, uh, of the group of people who are voting in a set election. Um, let's, let's look there. Like you said, it does, it almost, uh, it feels like uh, one of those hollow wins. Like, you know, you get, um, uh, you want, uh, hopefully some big change to happen and some incremental change that happens and everyone celebrates that as a win. And at the end of the day, it didn't really change much. Uh, but everyone uh, feels like their work is done and they can go home because that little win, uh, uh, was achieved. I, I get it. Yeah, I think there's there's something there to be said about uh, making sure you pick the right one because there is a lot of uh, kind of uh, motivation and, and kind of groundswell of, of um, activism or, or grassroots supporters and, and that momentum can be lost very quickly if you, uh, I guess, implement the wrong one or implement one that, that doesn't happen to uh, uh, be as, as directly proportionate as you'd hoped. Yeah, and I think it's it's also important too to recognize that. Uh, so we take a very methodical way uh, approach to how we look at voting methods, and, and we look to see uh, what candidates people actually supported, and compare that to different voting methods as well as approval voting. And so when we look to see like, okay, well this voting method did, did a good job, like we we have kind of data to to back to, to back that up. Uh, whereas like it it seems like in some cases when uh, an alternative voting is implemented and uh, they run the election and they say like, okay, well, we got a winner. Like we have a success. It's like, well, like, is that really a success? Uh, because uh, I could pull names out of a hat and like, I can get you a winner, <laughs> right. uh, but I don't know that I should be celebrating about it. Uh, right. And so I think it's really important too, that we take a more data driven approach to evaluate these different uh, methods and say like, okay, like was, uh, was a good winner selected? Uh, like relative to what the people wanted. Did right. it actually capture support of all the candidates and the voices that the people wanted to express? And and uh, and then looking at the at the logistics, like was it something that people could uh, understood because transparency within the method, particularly in a, in a time of distrust that we have now towards some of our elections is really uh, is really important. Uh, and then like you have practical concerns too, like like how much of a pain was it to implement from the, uh, uh, from the government side as well? Yep. Uh, which like that's that can also be a big issue. Yeah, yeah, actually trying to get um, volunteers, you know, spun up and educated on the new voting method. And there's a lot of that goes behind, you know, the, what the city clerks do and stuff for trying to get these elections run. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also I, I this question and it might have nothing to do with this. I don't know if your your data has has shown any of this, but uh, one of the big things that stands out to me every single year or every four years, especially, but um, every year there's a vote, you know, especially in the, the local elections, you see in some cases, 10%, maybe 20% of people vote in the national election. Even you see over half of the country, not even give their voice, uh, their opinion on, uh, who should be the, you know, presumed leader of that country. Um, do you, have you, have you seen any, or have you done any polls or is there any data out there, I guess, showing any of these alternative voting methods actually, uh, making people feel more uh, likely to vote, uh, like non-voters uh, um, impacted, I guess, due to these? I think it, it may be a little early uh, to be able to tell with, with some of these questions. Uh, I think uh, also the case with the, with the approval voting. Uh, we, we did see um, 
uh, a good turnout in St. Louis relative like to uh, 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 to other elections that they they that, that they had had um, and also um, keeping in the which is pretty good uh, uh, keeping in context that uh, the election was held during a, a pandemic when yep. there when people couldn't uh, uh, vote by mail. Uh, and, but I, I think for for this particular question, there are, there are a lot of really important questions also uh, that should be answered. And I, I think uh, taking a data driven approach to that is the right way to do it. For sure. Yeah. And I'd love to to hear more and read more about it. I'm definitely going to, uh, to you know, uh, continue to look for uh, articles that you guys write and, and different uh data sets that that are available and stuff i i think there's um like you said there i think being i am very focused on data driven approaches because that's how i like to live i mean i i make daily decisions based on data instead of uh emotions as best i can um and i i think it's going to take a lot to get the general population i think a lot of people vote emotionally uh, and i think a lot of people but i i think this could help i guess uh present a, a more uh, appropriate outcome, I guess, based on the, the even if it, if someone does vote with their emotions and wants uh, an emotional uh, candidate to, to win, uh, it would at least be more representative of, of the people that want to. And I, I'd be interested as well, uh, just as another data set uh, potential, I guess, uh, for the future is how, if, if like say a place has approval voting, how likely is that winner to actually have a good approval rating once they get into office? Um, and I know we haven't run enough, you know, mm -hmm. elections at this point to see something like that, but uh, it would be interesting to see based on, you know, if we have a lot of local uh, cities and stuff uh, start adopting some of these alternative voting methods, comparing the data, I guess, between, you know, what their approval rating is before and after uh, you know, with with plurality voting, with uh, a ranked choice in Maine and, and, and St. Louis with approval voting, it'd be really interesting to see kind of uh, how people feel post-election, because uh, I think that does represent a little bit. I mean, there's also candidates that come in. I don't want to go too far, but there's candidates that come in and say one thing and do another. Obviously, that would skew some of that data. But if you had a big enough data set, I feel like you'd get a, at least a good uh, understanding on whether or not it did actually represent, you know, a good portion of that uh, that group. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and like as as you're explaining, this is a, the type of uh, of hypothesis where it takes more data points to be able to really answer answer the the, the question. But these are still the types of questions that are appropriate to to ask. Uh, but it it does require many more cities and states moving away from this terrible choose one method that we have now. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and we're, uh, we're coming up on time. I, I could talk forever. The, you know, I, I really like this. I like the approach. I like, um, you know, I, I have read through some of the methodologies as well um, on uh, the website. Um, I want to give you, uh, you know, I like to give guests at the end kind of a little bit of time to just uh, as a thank you for coming on the show, you know, kind of hype whatever you want to, if you have, um, anything in particular that you'd like to talk about or just kind of a, what you would like to leave us with? Yeah, I, so this isn't something that uh, I'm, I would ask people to be passive about. There are a number of ways that you can get involved. Uh, we have chapters across the U.S. Uh, and, in, and in states, uh, again, like uh, across the country. And if you go to our website, you can stay involved. You can sign up for our newsletter. Uh, you can go into the Take Action section of our website at electionscience.org. Uh, and when you're on electionscience.org, you can go to take action and then join a chapter. 
uh, that's an easy way to get involved. And you, of course, you can also uh, donate to make sure that uh, we're able to support the chapters and uh, campaigns to make sure that other people are able to really, uh, like, like I said, you don't get very many uh, opportunities where the uh, the people in in power are forced to listen to you, other than when you vote. Right. So uh, we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to, to make sure that uh, you are not ignored. And a great way to do that is to to donate to uh, this cause to and to get involved with chapters uh, across the country, uh, so that uh, you have uh, a ballot that really matters uh, when you cast your vote. And so we care about you, we care about your voice, and we want you to be heard. Oh, that's great. And I, I think, you know, there's, you definitely opened my eyes to a lot of uh, uh, arguments I hadn't heard in the past. And, and um, you know, I'm definitely going to pour through some more of the data. Thank you for sharing uh, those pieces uh, in the comments here. Um, and definitely, you know, um, we'll stay in touch, share anything. I have a, a post-political community uh, Facebook group where uh, folks share anything. I, there's uh, a bunch of folks that are uh, in the Green Party and People's Party and Libertarian Party, Democrats, Republicans, all sharing different things um, on just just trying to uh, build a better world and, and trying to uh, better represent the people that are actually in these communities that are uh, being completely misrepresented by plurality voting uh, methods today. So uh, if you have any anything like that, please feel free to send it to me and I'll, I'll post it in our, our groups. Uh, or join the groups and post it yourself. I, I approve, you know, 99% of the stuff that people post in there. So um, thank you again for coming on and, and talking with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I hope, um, you know, I hope to, to talk with you more. And like I said, I have season two coming up. So um, as we get more data, it'd be great to uh, see some of that data and talk more uh, in next season. Excellent. Yeah. And we were actually uh, in the process right now of a, uh, hiring a director of applied data and research. So there will only be more as we move forward. That's great. No, it's great to hear. Um, well, thank you. Thank you again. Uh, this was great. I really appreciate having you on and um, and all the information that you shared with us. And like I said, definitely keep in touch. I'd love to talk more um, and, and definitely see more data uh, come out. I think it's uh, really important. And like you said, I don't think people should take uh, this passively. I think people should be very actively uh, wanting to change how um, our votes are counted and, and how people's uh, voices are being heard. So I appreciate the work you do. And I and thank you again for, for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Nick. Yeah, have a great night. So that was Aaron Hamlin uh, from the Center of Election Science for Election Science. I put the link in the comments uh, for folks to check out their website uh, and a couple of links uh, for the St. Louis uh, election and then just some of the uh, data and the comparison between other uh, voting methods. So uh, please check them out. Um, that was that was really great. You know, I, I really learned a lot more. Um, than I even expected. You know, I, I knew about some other alternative voting methods, but I hadn't uh, learned as much about uh, approval voting. And uh, I'm definitely intrigued more. I, I want to learn a little bit more and I'm going to do some digging on my own as well. Um, and if, if anyone has any questions about it, uh, please reach out. You can reach out to myself or uh, I know um, Aaron's contact information. There's some other contact information right on their website. So please check it out. Um, and I'm very willing to pass on any questions that folks have uh, from uh, myself as well. Um, so yeah, that was the last episode of the season. Um, I want to thank every single person that came on the show uh, individually, but that would take a ton of time. So um, thank you all. We had some incredible guests this season. 
Uh, we were able to talk to people from a ton of different political ideologies. Some people who are non-political and, and doing uh, mutual aid uh, direct action uh, programs in their local communities. Uh, we're going to be focusing a lot on that next season. Um, I'm hoping to uh, actually uh, do a few things in the off season, I guess, to um, shed some light and actually give some resources to the folks in uh, doing mutual aid uh, and direct action programs. Uh, so please check those out. Um, again, you know, if you can check out the site in the next couple of weeks, uh, postpoliticalpodcast.com slash shop. If you buy any of those two promo items, 100% of the proceeds goes to uh, each of those mutual aid uh, groups. So please check those out last couple of days to purchase that gear. Uh, and then it'll be off the site. We might do something different with those same folks uh, next year, but uh, or next uh, season. But uh, those will be the only time that you can get those specific items. So uh, check them out. Uh, thank you all for, for joining me again for this season. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please let me know if you there was something you particularly liked or didn't particularly like. And I will uh, try and take notes for next year to uh, or next season to do a little bit better uh, and bring on some, some more people. So I look forward to talking to you all next season on the Post Political Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>